lots of important stuff to talk about, and we actually want to give you another traffic note here. But before we do anything, Greg, I need to ask you a really important question. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I didn't study for this test. You didn't give me a heads up. Okay. Do you ever bring a lunch to work, and then the lunch doesn't survive the first 90 minutes of your shift? Because that happened to me today. You've you've already eaten your lunch at 5.55 in the morning. It's gone. Well, I brought the best part of lunch. I brought a peanut butter sandwich and a banana, and the peanut butter sandwich, I think, was gone by 5 a.m. So you had uh, your lunch for breakfast, did you? (laughs) Yeah, I've done that lots of times, buddy. That's why I only bring boring things to work usually, because then I I know I'll only eat them when I'm really hungry. But if I have good stuff, I just want to eat it because I like it. Anyway, it's a busy week. CFL week really gets underway today. We're very excited about that. Regardless of your love or lack of love or somewhere in between for football, it'll be kind of neat to welcome Jonathan Jennings and Zach Caleros into the studio later on this morning, about 8.30, between 8.35 and 9 o'clock, Zach and Jonathan will be in the studio with us. And which team is Zach Caleros with? He's the uh, starting quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, the look on Greg's knew, face was you, I knew the answer. I just wanted to mad, oh hear man. you say it. Mad, oh man. Yeah, you can well, be able to make it through that segment I'll without throwing chairs? He hasn't chairs? actually played for them yet, so it'll make it a little bit easier. I saw Chris Jones at the Canadian Football Hall of Fame announcement uh, last night, and he's kind of a small guy, but he's stocky. I call him Black Bart. Okay. He's always in black. Black shirt with a black suit. Rough Riders lapel pin on, and I almost hip-checked him, but I I stopped myself at the last moment. (laughs) He walked past me. I wanted to, you know, give him the old, give him the old what for, but I did not. Okay. Our uh, top three stories today are kind of like our top three go-tos. Government dysfunction. Yep. Medicine. And downtown redevelopment. That's right. So we'll uh, work through those as we can this morning and intersperse some awesome opportunities for you to win some great prizes. As well, the headline at globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg and cjob.com. New Winnipeg and resource guide games to reach most vulnerable people. Its timing serves as a follow-up to the four-part series Global News brought you last week. The reality of child sexual exploitation. And you can find all of those stories online at globalnews.ca. Again, the headline, New Winnipeg Resource Guide aims to reach most vulnerable people. It was a series put together by Global News Morning anchor Shannon Kuzes, The Reality of Child Sexual Exploitation. And she is the one who posted this new article. And she joins us now to tell us about the Winnipeg Outreach Network. So this is a group of many different organizations in the city. It's 18 agencies, and basically they are working together to help the city's most vulnerable people. A few of those agencies that you may recognize, Nadinaway Drop-In Center, the Winnipeg Police Service, and their Counter-Exploitation Unit, which we went behind the scenes with recently in the series on Global News. It's also including the WRHA, the North End Women's Center, Street Connections, Mama Way, Salvation Army, and more. And what these agencies are doing is they're coming together to put this resource guide 
out to people who are experiencing homelessness, people who have been sexually exploited, such as some of the people that we featured in our stories last week on Global News. And they're trying to make a difference in the lives of people who wouldn't regularly have the opportunity to access the resources and supports that someone who does have a roof over their head would have. Now, there's a quote in your story here from Althea Gibosh uh, from End Homelessness Winnipeg, uh, Shannon. And this is uh, something that highlights to me that perhaps this program is proactive as well as reactive. Here's the quote that caught my attention. We're hoping that street entrenched populations, and uh, that's a terminology I had been unfamiliar with up until a moment ago, such as sexually exploited, homeless, at risk of homelessness, people who aren't connected to services can access these services and become more aware of them. So talk about the proactive aspect of this program. That's a great question. So this resource guide is very proactive and one of a kind, really, in the sense that the agencies that are in the Winnipeg Outreach Network, along with many other agencies in the city, because just the Winnipeg Outreach Network isn't even touching the surface of the different supports that are out there in Manitoba, but they're going to be proactive by handing this guide out when they're doing outreach on the streets, as you saw in this series, with people who are, as you said, experiencing homelessness or who are being sexually exploited living on the streets. And why this is different is because when organizations are doing outreach, they are out on the streets at night, building relationships with the people who are vulnerable, the people who don't have a phone, they don't have a computer, they don't have some of the resources that a lot of people do have at their fingertips. And so these agencies are going out to these people on the streets. They're handing them this pocket-sized guide as a piece of paper with more than 100 resources with phone numbers on them. So that person can either go to a pay phone. They can walk in and ask to use a phone somewhere to get help. They can if they see police or they see an outreach group say, I saw this resource on the guide. I want to get in touch with them. Can you give them a call for me? Can you take me there? And so that's why this guide is really proactive because it's going to be put in the hands directly of the people who need it most. Global News Morning anchor Shannon Coos is telling us about the Winnipeg Outreach Resource Guide, which has been put together by the Winnipeg Outreach Network. And you can read more about it at globalnews.ca. The headline once again, New Winnipeg resource guide aims to reach most vulnerable people and you can also get caught up on the series she presented last week the reality of child sexual exploitation Duff, a difficult topic to broach a difficult topic to cover and discuss but uh, Shannon I know you're on the air right now you did an amazing job on this and it's well worth your time to uh, to research this if you are a listener and concerned about the future of our community uh, the series uh, very in-depth tons of information and uh yeah it's going to be concerning but one of those issues we cannot turn our backs on hey brett you're like our um grammar police around here oh god um market lands plural when did that become a thing you mentioned parker lands yeah like it's one chunk of property you know what? I'm not sure about the grammar, but it does. I do think it sounds cooler because uh, a buddy of mine moved to West St. Paul 
But all my friends say, just refer to his new uh, area as the Western Lands. <laughs> we, okay. we need to take a trek out to the Western Lands. Okay, I kind of like that. Okay. Sounds like you're going on a quest. It does, and it, it, it kind of <laughs> gives us some largesse, yeah. you know, to play on the S side. So, okay, we're going to go with that. And I just read a spot for Bridgewater. No E in Bridgewater, right? So we're getting kind of funky here in Winnipeg. A two-acre <laughs> lot in the heart of the city in the Exchange District finally has a concrete proposal for redevelopment. Future plans for the market lands, the space that houses the now vacant public safety building and civic parkade were shown to Winnipeggers yesterday. And the options include up to 400 apartments, ground floor retail space, and an outdoor market. There's also green space, part of a requirement that part of the land have a public use. Demolition could start as early as this year, and shovels could hit the ground in 2020. But as Global News' Tim Brook reports, not everyone is thrilled about the proposal. It's been a work in progress for half a decade, incorporating this two-acre eyesore in the middle of the city into something that can effectively connect downtown, Chinatown, and the Exchange District. It's not every day that we get the chance to redefine an entire block of land right in the heart of our city. There are plans that include apartments, stores, and a public market, but not everyone is thrilled with the proposals brought forward. That's a lot of space that could be parking. The issue of parking absolutely has to be addressed. With Old Market Square, Red River College, City Hall, and dozens of apartments and businesses within a few blocks, parking in the exchange is already at a premium. So just what will this new development mean for drivers? And they're talking about adding 400 new units to the neighborhood with only 200 parking stalls. Where's everyone going to park? Downtown development agency Center Venture says interested businesses are welcome to build their own underground spots, but nothing is guaranteed unless the market calls for it. Something that seems likely. I understand that they want to increase public transportation, but at minus 30, I'm not, you're not getting someone from the suburbs to take the bus and then come down and walk at minus 30. It needs more parking. City Council will look over the proposal this spring as CenterVenture puts out a call for developers. Tim Brook, Global News. Thank you very much, Tim Brook. Mackling and McGarry, Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Jerry Richardson. You know him as Behind the Glass, Jerry. Settling down, we're going to have coffee and chit-chat, a new documentary about the beloved television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, is coming out this June. It's called Won't You Be My Neighbor? The trailer was released earlier this week to coincide with what would have been Fred Rogers' 80th birthday. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star, yet... It worked. There's also a Hollywood filming production with Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers. Production set to start in that uh, this fall in September. So today we're having coffee talking about our favorite 
Children's shows, and my goodness, how do you narrow it down to one? I guess I should start with the couch potato. I was just going to say, the guy narrating that documentary sounds like the guy that narrated the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I was just like, wow, this sounds ominous. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that first part was kind of an old news footage clip. Uh, but yeah, let's start with you, Jeff. You're one of the couch potatoes. Uh, which one did you go with? Oh, uh, the best uh, cartoon experience a person could have on a Saturday morning, because it was 90 minutes long Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. It's all a gold for an hour and a half every Saturday morning. And it was like part of the overall six-hour cartoon block, but it was definitely <laughs> the highlight. And then every I can't think of Saturday morning cartoons without thinking of the worst thing that could ever happen to you on a Saturday was when the cartoons would end and the Western Hour would begin. You betcha. <laughs> you guys remember this? I think this is an Altona thing. Is this on the Altona TV station? I don't know. Uh, I've, the old clips on YouTube, it says, the Western Hour television series shot in Manitoba, Canada, ran from 1977 to 1996 every Saturday at noon. It was the universal signal to every rural kid that cartoons were over for the day. <laughs> <laughs> it would come on and be like, oh, come oh, on. Wow. <laughs> See, and in my generation... The Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour was actually the lead-in to Hockey Night in Canada. That's how I remember oh, it as well, neat. Kelly. That's yep. when I watched it. It was on Saturday evening in the afternoons. Yep. I think it was either 4 o'clock, because I, I grew up in B.C., so I right. think it was 4 o'clock, and then hockey started at 5. Yeah, and then the Beachcombers were maybe on before that. I, you know, I yeah. don't remember exactly, but yeah, Saturday morning. How did this turn into a conversation about Bugs Bunny? <laughs> it was just zero, zero educational value in that, by the way. That's not true. You learned what sorts of things uh, were affected by gravity and yeah, you learned, <laughs> the most. You learned about what four bits was. How, How to you order could get mail a order. Shotgun in the face and just have uh, some soda on your face at the end of it. <laughs> or maybe your nose on the back of your head. Eat carrots. They were good for you. Pick yeah. up your beak. Put it right back on your face because right. that always happened. Shadow Lee Vidal. Uh, this was really tough one because there's actually several shows that that were just very special to me as a child. There was Size Small, Today's Special, oh, oh The yeah. Polkadot Door, but I, I went with something that I could also really enjoy as an adult, Sesame Street. And if I get crumbs in my pajamas, I'll itch and I won't be able to sleep. Oh, Bert, thank you so much for stopping me from eating cookies in my bed. All right, Ernie, just, just, just go to bed, okay? Okay. And I'm never going to eat cookies in my bed again. Okay, good. <laughs> he climbs into bed with Ernie. Bert. What are you doing? I'm going to eat cookies in your bed, Bert. Bert sounds like a guy we know. <laughs> and, and, and it was funny because, uh, you know, Sesame Street might be on uh, twice, uh, like at the same time, it'd be on American station and a Canadian station. My mom was very, very adamant that if it was on the same time and it was, and it was also on a Canadian station, we had to watch the Canadian feed. That was uh Well, because they had the little, they in, in they interjected the little Canadian features. A lot of those yeah. were filmed here in Winnipeg. Yeah. Once but you wouldn't get the good, uh, the good American commercials. 
there's no commercials. And I also I also think too with the with the ki- with the kid shows and what you watch because uh, because Brad was talking about his favorite show, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it yet. And I, I didn't actually ever watch that as a kid because that was the sh- when that show would come on, I'd turn the channel. And I think because my mom didn't like it, and my mom's like, I don't, you know, so I so I kind of we tended to watch the shows that I think that our parents tend to watch. See, we're not born with prejudice. We, yeah. Prejudice is created. <laughs> Sesame Street did have commercials. It was always brought to you by the letter. Well, and that was the concept, right? Was the fact that the Children's Broadcasting Corporation, da da da, was it was kind of like a miniature TV show. So why don't we dovetail Chantilly's into Brett since. You know, there seems to be a disdain on your part for, for Bretts, and they followed one another on PBS quite often. Yeah, and actually I suppose it's sort of fitting that this is my show today of all days, given the, the news about Manitoba Hydro. The show that I liked the most was The Electric Company, and this is a young Morgan Freeman. Sisters and misses and misters, here's your daddy yo with the sounds to go. No shucking, no jiving. I'm telling you, your music's arriving. Ha <laughs> ha! What I say? It's Mel Mounds here with our special request game called The Same as Your Name. name, name. That's right. One of you lucky listeners out there will get a chance to pick the next song. And the name of that song will have a sound that sounds the same as your name. So that blew my mind, first of all, when I learned years later, like <laughs> decades later, after I stopped watching the electric company that Morgan Freeman was one of the guys on that show. I think he was in every single episode. Yeah. If you go into the IMDb, he's on every single episode of the Electric Company. Yeah, and it, which it ran in the 70s, but I guess it replayed for many years because I watched it when I was a kid and it, that show actually taught me to read. Watching television taught me to read. So school just failed you miserably. <laughs> I, I, I was through, like I learned it before I even went to school. Oh. I was three years old, uh, just because I'd sit in front of the TV and watch The Electric Company. Does he come the- on and go get busy reading or get busy dying? <laughs> <laughs> you had to love when Spider Man oh. would show up and he would freeze, and then he'd look up for the for the talk bubble, uh, speech bubble, That's so right. that he, he would know, know what he said, and then he'd read it, and then he'd look back at the camera and move on with uh, whatever was happening. Kelly? Well, I'm going to date myself here. Has that big old boot. Now look up. Way up. And we're on our way to the castle. I'll hurry over first and go in the back door so I can let the drawbridge down and open the big front doors for you. Are you ready? Here's my castle. <laughs> This is going back to the late 50s. It went all through the 60s, the 70s, and into the 80s. The friendly giant, Bob Holm, was actually an American, later on became a Canadian, or won the Order of Canada. Uh, but, man, what a run they had. And, you know, you could set up one chair here, another two a chair here for two to curl up That's in. That's right, the armchair. I'll, I'll, I'll go get Rusty and Jerome. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, that was to get that was to get hey, Jerome. I love the friendly oh, giant I, too. I have, I have yeah. something for you here. Now you're going to tell me you worked on the production crew for a while. <laughs> I played the recorder. You played the recorder. <laughs> I've, been working, I've been working on that all week just for you, Kelly. Well done. We have 10 seconds. Yours, what is it, Greg? It's Mr. Dress Up. Hands down, I always thought that if Casey 
and or Finnegan went, you know, kicked the bucket or got thrown in the garbage, I would love to be like the human Casey <laughs> on Mr. Dress Up. We're having a chat about favorite children's shows, the favorite kids' shows in the wake of the release of the trailer for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood documentary, Would You Be My Neighbor? Time to get to Jerry's. What was your favorite kids' show? Mine was called Jeremy. I'm the bear called Jeremy. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, it's me. I can do most anything. I can play and I can sing. I should also say that I've got a heart of gold. I'd also like to say that, no, he can't sing. (laughs) But that was was kind of the whole point of Jeremy, was he had all these aspirations. He wanted to sing and travel the world, but he had real no talent to do anything, but it didn't stop him from doing it anyway. Oh, that's so sweet. He reminds me of, uh, I know my name is Simon. Was it Simon? Simon in the land of the chalkboard people. Right. And that was part of, <laughs> that was part of Romper Room once upon a time. Was it not? Like a little I didn't know that. bit on Romper Room. Anyway, we're getting tons of text messages on your favorite uh, children's show. Keep them coming. 204-780-6868. Mr. Dress Up getting lots of endorsements. In fact, Scott said that Mr. Dress Up was the in inspiration for Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is a ripoff of Mr. Dress Up. Actually, they were friends and worked together in Canada when Fred Rogers left to make Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in the United States. Curious to see if that'll make its way into the documentary. Did Jeremy, by the way, did that show end with Jeremy realizing that he'll never achieve his dreams and he was just crushed by life? Probably. Yeah, that sounds like a realistic, that that would be a realistic sort of ending for a kid's show. What did MTV do? The revisitation and they do the life story of people. Let's find out where Jeremy is now and interview all the people as he's sitting somewhere in a flat in in, uh, Brighton, England. Devastated, by the way. My whole life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I thought I could could just sing my way over the world and it didn't work. Now I'm here. Behind the glass, Jerry. The Manitoba Nurses Union said yesterday overtime has reached a crisis level at St. Boniface Hospital. So far in 2018, MNU said it is aware of 328 reports of mandatory overtime, which it says is the equivalent of all mandatory overtime reported in all of 2017. And since reporting of mandated overtime is voluntary, the union said the actual number is likely way higher. Yesterday on the news on 680 CJOB, Julie Buckingham asked MNU President Sandy Mowat, what is mandatory overtime? If a nurse is working a shift and the next shift is short, uh, then the, the, uh, their supervisor will try to find someone to work the shift. And at the end of the day, if they can't find anyone to volunteer or someone to uh, come in from home, et cetera, then they will require a nurse to stay. And so that can be generally uh, their double shift. So generally it's a 16-hour shift then. So the next question has to be, what's creating the stress on this part of the system and causing the strain on the nurses and their schedules for that? We went to Lori Lamont of the WRHA. We've seen an increase in demand uh, in January and February uh, in some parts of our system, uh, certainly in our emergency and and medical areas. uh, The influenza outbreak has certainly challenged us this year. in uh, in women's health, we've also seen uh, an increase in activity. What also happened at St. Boniface in January was the implementation of new schedules. Those new schedules um, were put in place to um, 
ensure that the staffing on each of the units um, was appropriate and, and complete uh, for the models of care that were to be delivered. Many of the rotations at St. Boniface had not been changed for many years, and so there were gaps and, and challenges in terms of staffing. Uh, so it's a you know those were implemented. However, with the implementation of new schedules, what we tend to see at the end of that is that there are vacant positions once you know as the process rolls forward, and there are. Um, high vacancies in some areas, particularly in the women's and child area. And in order to fill those vacancies, we go through a process where um, internal applicants have the first right uh, to apply for those positions. If we don't fill it internally, then we can go to external applicants. We're now at the process where we are able to offer more of those uh, positions to nurses coming from outside of St. Boniface, and we have hired 12 new nurses to St. Boniface just in, in the recent weeks and are in the process of more um, interviewing and hiring as we speak. Now, Sandy Mowat says the change in scheduling procedures came long enough ago that it should not be part of the discussion. Well, I would argue that, yes, the um, new rotations came in January 12th, which I would argue was quite some time ago. And uh, so, you know, uh, and we've had some challenges with women child for quite some time. Uh, and and so I guess my my suggestion would be that we get down to brass tacks now. Like, we, we got... we have sort of had enough of excuses, and now we need to make sure that we are dealing with this issue. We have nurses who are generally tired and worried about having to go to work every day and staying for 16 hours. And so, you know, uh, we need a short-term solution to this. Patient care at risk here? You know, nurses always do the best they can. They go to work, they deliver the best care they possibly can, and they will continue to do that. The concern will be is that if this continues for any length of time, and it's been going on for weeks now, you're going to see an increased sick time. And then when there's increased sick time, you have increased overtime, and then it becomes a vicious circle. And the worry we'll have is that they'll be working short staff, which then will be very concerning. And you're not saving any money by paying all well, that overtime I would either. argue, I, I just one of the things I'd like to say in response to this, this whole issue was supposed to smooth out the staffing. I get all that part but we were also promised that it was going to decrease the overtime and i would argue it's done nothing but increase the overtime we like solutions to problems around here so what is the solution in the eyes of the union once again sandy moet well i think we need to look and see uh if there's other solutions about adjusting some of the staffing if there's an ability to cast a wider net are there nurses working elsewhere that have that expertise that might be willing to work uh we need to look at i mean that's the labor and delivery floor we've got to look at all the areas where we're having difficulty with flow and throughput and the overcapacity beds so there's a lot of work you know all we're asking is to be included and be able to have some input so for example when you're talking labor and delivery and having that skill set would you be willing to have a nurse come from Health Sciences Center from Labor and Delivery to come over she, to St. B if, if they're If she would available? be willing to do that, then that, absolutely. We haven't had any of those discussions. I, I would argue probably the Health Sciences Center doesn't have a lot of flexibility as well. And this is a long-standing problem, if I could just say that part. We have known for a couple of years that we have issues with women and child, particularly in labor uh, and delivery areas. Both facilities have been stretched to the max for a long time. We've been waiting for how many years for the new women's hospital. I realize that that's a little bit of out of control because it's way behind schedule. I'm uh, really concerned that that's not going to fix the problem once it opens. And so, you know, we need to have some good discussion about capacity. The Nurses Union, by the way, represents 1,600 nurses at St. Boniface Hospital alone and over 12,000 nurses across the province. Mandatory overtime numbers were not made available for 
other hospitals. We, we get voluntold to do things uh, around here from time to time, but this is a, a gigantic <laughs> difference, right? <laughs> you know, voluntold, voluntold I love it. Told to do things, but this is like that. That's outside of the purview of your job, right? Of what you do day to day. It might be an extra, an extra community event or or something to to. In the end, you feel really good about doing, right? And yeah. it's just, you know, yeah, it's extra time out of your day. But this is your actual job, and you're being, you know, basically guilted or forced to stay for another entire shift. Uh, we had this discussion just a few weeks ago about the longest shift either of us have ever worked around here and it's long and it sticks out in your mind. Could you imagine every single time you walked in the door, you'd be wondering whether or not your eight hour shift was going to turn into a 12 or a 16 hour shift. It would be tough. It'd be horrible. And the fact that they, these are people who are, we're entrusting with or who are in charge of taking care of us when we're sick, when we're ill, when we're dying. Yeah, that scares me. Uh, but they're working hard, and we appreciate it. I was born in a small town, and I live in a small town. We keep bending the rules on this, but it's with very good reason. It's the Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. Service uh, South Beach Casino. They should just call themselves Service Beach Casino. SouthBeachCasino.ca. This week, we are headed west to the city of Brandon. And we want to learn more about a rite of passage in in Western Manitoba this time of year, the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair. We are joined live on 680 CJOB by Ron Christensen, General Manager at the Provincial Exhibition of Manitoba. Ron, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, and thanks for having us on. Well, Ron, this is uh, not only a rite of passage for anyone that lives in West Man. You have to go to the Winter Fair at least once. But it's also a rite of spring. This is a sure sign that spring is on its way. Oh, it sure is. You know, for uh, for years we've had the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair as part of the spring break week in Manitoba. So things kick off Monday morning. Uh, great family entertainment all week long. So yeah, it's a full week of entertainment. So I guess what? How does it begin well, on we, March twenty sixth? We start uh, March 26th with uh, Sunrise Breakfast. Sunrise Credit Union sponsors a, a breakfast at the fair. Starts at 6.30 in the morning, runs till 9. Five bucks will get you breakfast, and then you can stay at the fair for the rest of the day on the $5, uh, $5 breakfast and all day at the fair. So that's, uh, that's a great kickoff to it, and we do, we do accept donations of... Uh, non-perishable food items to support Samaritan House here in western Manitoba. So that's a, a big piece of what we do to give back to the community as well. Ron, I credit uh, the city of Brandon with uh, me turning out to be what I would consider a good kid after all. I uh, grew up in the West End, went to Brandon, then back to the West End. But Brandon, I spent my formative years there. And so I could go on and on and rave about the community. For those that have maybe been through Brandon and know where Keystone Centre is, maybe you could paint a picture for what happens on the fairgrounds for us. Oh, sure. You know, the Keystone Centre, it's half a million square feet in the, in the south end of Brandon. There's, there's uh, full-size arenas at each end of the facility where we have uh, horse shows and entertainment happening all day long. We've got hundreds of trade show vendors in the, uh, in the building. We've got uh, several hundred horses. We've got over 100 head of cattle in there. 
competitions. We've got a huge ag education area where we work with uh, with farmers, with all the commodity groups. There's live animal demonstrations. There's uh, just an opportunity for people to come out and, and learn about farming from the people that do it. So it's entertainment. It's education. It's fun for the whole family. Well, I'm just at ProvincialExhibition.com, and right on that homepage, there's a whole bunch of pictures from inside the Keystone Center with, uh, I'm just, the, are, the, are these Clydesdales? Did I just see a picture yeah. of Clydesdales? You bet. We've got, uh, we've got a big entry of, of heavy horses pulling the wagons with four-horse hitch, six-horse hitch. We've got horses coming from uh, Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. We've got jumping horses. There's almost 200 uh, jumping horses coming to the fair. They're coming from uh, away west, some coming from down in the States, Nebraska. So it's a, it's a huge competition all week, and uh, it's, it's just something that uh, people need to come and see. Ron, thanks for uh, this walk down memory lane, 111 years of the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair. A uh, very exciting time for the city of Brandon and for anyone who's never been. It, it We say it's worth the trip to Steinbeck, the automobile city. It's worth the trip to Brandon during spring break to go and check out the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair. Thanks for, uh, for, for this tour. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you all next week in Brandon. All right, Ron Christensen, thank you so much. Ron is the general manager at the Provincial Exhibition of Manitoba. And again, we know we bent the rules, the small-town salute to the city of Brandon, uh, but we're often accused of... What do they call it? Perimeteritis? Perimeteritis. And we, we like to break that. All sorts of incredible events that, that happen throughout the province of Manitoba. Incredible communities that you've maybe never been to. Maybe you grew up there and you just never hear spoken about or discussed on CJOB. We like to fix that with the small town salute. Well, and because I I, I confess I haven't been to Brandon all that many, many times. I bet you I've been to Brandon three, four times in my life. And that includes a pit stop there just this past summer as we were driving to Verdon for the the Laker golf tournament and I'm always blown away at how neat, uh, how nice a, a place Brandon is, especially as you make your approach into the city and you can see the whole thing because you're kind of way up. It's just, it's a, it's, it's so different from what we're used to in flat Winnipeg. Yeah, the Grand Valley Road and the Cinnaboyan River Valley, and then there are other places, uh, different valleys and uh, outlooks, uh, places in and around Brandon. They're absolutely gorgeous. People forget that trading area is over 200,000 people. It's close to 250,000 people in, in Westman. And so Brandon has just about everything you could possibly need or want. Uh, you know, you can live in Minidosa, you can live in Verdon, you can live in Surris or Boisevain, and within a 45-minute drive You've got just about everything they have in Winnipeg and Brandon. It's uh, I rave about it. It was a great place to grow up. The Manitoba Métis Federation has accused the Premier of using race card tactics to explain the resignation of the entire Manitoba Hydro Board. Nine of its members, including the chair, announced their resignations yesterday morning. Premier Brian Pallister said that decision came after his office expressed concerns over the board's decision to pay the MMF $70 million to help make construction of a transmission line between Minnesota and Manitoba go smoother. Richard Cloutier, senior reporter for Global News and co-host of 680 CJOB's The News, asked the Premier some pretty hard questions at a press conference yesterday. Here's some of that. Let's talk about aligning better 
and make sure that no further payments are made to special interest groups by Manitoba Hydro without notification and discussion with the Minister of the Crown. Why not meet with Mr. Riley? Why not meet with him, though? Because a lot of people, you know, Senator Riley was on your transition team, sir. These are all very loyal progressive conservatives that by this move you've alienated. Okay, well, first of all, Richard, your assertions are false, false, and potentially false as well. Um, So I have to say, um, we've had regular contact Uh, My senior officials and my ministers have responsibility for overseeing uh, the relationship with close to 200 boards, agencies and commissions and uh, will continue to to take those responsibilities seriously. Uh, I will not meddle in a public utilities board rate application process because I just don't think that's right or fair. But I, uh, I have obvious biases in respect of defending the interests of Manitoba ratepayers and I think as a government we've done the right thing in making sure that we don't allow our crown corporations to make payments like the one they propose to make. As mentioned, we are joined now on 680 CGOB by Richard Cluche. And Richard, uh, thank you for this. It was great to see you in the fray yesterday, asking the tough questions and covering the story uh, backwards and forwards yesterday afternoon. Question I have for you, aren't boards like this, in the case of a crown corporation, aren't they elected to make these decisions and aren't they put there to make sure that, that things are done in the absence of government overreach? Well, they are, but in the history of Manitoba Hydro and any sitting provincial government, be it NDP or Conservative, uh, the, the Crown Corporation, like Hydro, has always been used as a lever for economic development, especially up north. So what I am told from several sources that the whole idea of the $70 million payment to the Manitoba Métis Federation, which is part and parcel of ongoing payments that you have seen in the past to First Nations Indigenous groups as well. That was really a cover story. We can talk about that more in a moment. But uh, these types uh, of relationships um, are in such a way that the day-to-day ongoing governance of a crown corporation like Hydro comes and you get your marching orders from the board. The day-to-day stuff is done by your executive team. When it comes to some fundamental decisions, this whole issue is that Sanford Riley and key board members wanted to take a meeting and a series of meetings with Brian Pallister. In this province, Pallister rules. He really does rule in the sense that if you want a key decision, you have to go right to the premier. And they wanted to meet him, not just in the last couple of weeks, but for over a year to discuss some controversial ideas about the future of Manitoba Hydro. So Pallister is accurate in saying, you know what, we've had communication, but the problem is the people that have had communication with uh, the Hydro board don't have the power to make the key decisions. That power lies in the Premier's office. So when I confronted him, you know, false, false, potentially false, no, not true at all. I've done my homework on this, and the Premier is just trying to get to Friday on this by using a very good cover story that is very popular with uh, most Manitobans that they don't want to give a $70 million payment to the Manitoba Métis Federation. But in the history of Hydro, they've done these payments before, not just exclusive in Manitoba, but in other jurisdictions across Canada. So, Richard, is the genuine problem here that the that the Premier wants too much control in this situation? And did the board want to meet with Premier Pallister because they knew the only way they could get some things done was to get his approval? 
Absolutely. And in this case, the premier is making some key and fundamental decisions that are necessary in this province. And I give him credit for that, especially on the health care file. It's not popular and he's doing some unpopular things. But at one kind of, when it comes to the relationship with Manitoba Hydro, he simply could have taken that meeting. Uh, this is about personalities and this is in the end about a board that is very frustrated with uh with, with the premier in particular and for the entire board to resign that tells you something and i'll be very interested to see what happens today and tomorrow because in politics sometimes it's about getting to friday and it was a perfect cover story very popular story but uh represented only a fraction of the truth that w- is really going on between the government and manitoba hydro now richard we have about 90 seconds left sanford riley now former board chair did make a statement and he made that statement to you what did he say yeah you know in 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 having a, a good relationship with some of these board members, uh, he said this, quote, the suggestion that our board would have paid persuasion money to anybody is cynical, offensive, and wrong. That is directed specifically at Premier Brian Pallister's comments yesterday. Where are you going with this story today before we let you go, Rich? We'll see. I'm still working on trying to get some of those board members to come on with us here on 680 CJOB. They're trying to take the high road on this. They're trying to do a, 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 you know, Michelle Obama. You know, when they go low, we go high. But we'll see if uh, more information comes out. I've been digging hard on this one, guys. Richard Cloutier, thank you very much, sir. Joining us live from the television studio, Global TV at 201 Portage Avenue. One, two, three. Hey, we were talking earlier about favorite kids shows. Yeah. How about this one? I'm going to play a clip of a talking pineapple. Oui, c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. <laughs> Tell français. Je suis un ananas. Oh Je my. suis un ananas. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know what that reminds me of? the uh, On the French channels, they'd have, and something they showed to you in French class, the clown. The okay. French clown, and he would be on the railway with one of those things that you have to pump. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That was, I found that kind of terrifying. He was like a French clown hobo. French clown hobo who wanted to be a rail worker. Yeah. And he was stealing stuff from yeah. CN or CP. I found it like, yeah. <laughs> keep those, keep your favorite uh, childhood <laughs> memories, your favorite uh, TV shows. Uh, Mr. Rogers is a documentary. It's coming to theaters this summer. We were talking about that earlier this morning. And we have to give a shout out to Bob Schwartz, late Bob Schwartz. Archie and his friends, Uncle Bob, Marvin Mouse, Robbie the Robot. You remember them all if you're of a certain age. And you were mentioning how you were waiting for Joey Gregorish from Skittlebits to call you on your birthday. I can remember sitting by the phone waiting for Uncle Bob to phone me on my sixth did, birthday. Did he call you? I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> I remember waiting for oh. the call, though. And I think he did call me, okay. but I probably just got so starstruck. <laughs> That it's been wiped from my memory. I know. I, I just say I'm I'm still as devastated that I never got the call from Joey Gregors because we were called the night before saying, you know, because they had the birthday feature and that your daughter might get called. Just want to give you a heads up. Yeah. But unfortunately, Joey Gregors did not call me on his Garfield phone. So. Okay. Well, clearly we could have done three things on <laughs> kids shows this morning. What we 
What are we doing instead? Well, it's going to be uh, three things since uh, we had so much fun talking about the kids' shows. Three things to kind of put a smile on your face this morning. Oh, good. We need that. <laughs> so uh, this first one, this is going to be fun. So yesterday, the Assiniboine Park Zoo revealed a special attraction for the summer. So you remember those giant anatomic dinosaurs yeah. that were here last year and I think the year before? They were awesome. So it's going to be really similar, except instead of dinos, it's going to be giant bugs. <laughs> Extreme bugs. So the zoo is going to have 19 animatronic bugs. So here is the zoo's Lori, Lori Curtis to tell us what we might expect. Hornet in the exhibit. Uh, there will be a honeybee, a butterfly, a centipede. So there'll be some things that we're used to seeing, but then other things like uh, a praying mantis, uh, lots of ants, and, and some other bugs that I think will be new for people. So praying mantis? Isn't the praying mantis, isn't that the one where the female kills the male after they mate? I think that might be it. I I believe that's accurate. (laughs) Jerry, Jerry, doesn't she dismember (laughs) the, like, how does that all go down, Jerry? He held his hand out, he kind of held it out and then pulled it up and mouthed. Go ahead, Jerry, explain it. She rips his head off. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so praying mantis. We'll be staying away from that part of the exhibit. So they don't have a, an opening date set, set yet, but they are aiming for the end of May, and it is going to run until fall. And the price of seeing the big bugs is included with the cost of your regular admission. And don't worry, these bugs are harmless. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, uh, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground <laughs> sugar caves. Troy Mc- is that Troy? M- no, not Troy McClure. <laughs> that sounds uh, like Skinner. No, that's uh, Simpsons. The, the news guy. The news guy, Ken Brockman. Ken Brockman, oh, Ken Brockman always, of course. He's always uh, kowtowing to uh, whoever's in power in Springfield. That's right. Absolutely. So yeah, Hopefully it doesn't become a Westworld situation <laughs> where the bugs decide to, you know, I, I, I rebel. Have, I have a faith in the zoo. The dinosaurs... We're, we're good, and yeah, yeah. and as believable as they were, they didn't uh, run rampant, so I think we'll be okay. Okay. So Starbucks was in the news for some other reason today. What, what, have, what have they unveiled? What is this concoction they unveiled today? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, that's that's going to be, I think, thing number three, thing right? number three, but first, th- uh, thing number two has to do with, yes, Starbucks as well, because they're in the news for a couple of reasons. So we have two elementary school kids they uh, they actually met with Starbucks stakeholders to present a petition that garnered more than 300,000 signatures. 300,000? Yeah, so Maya Chow and Eve Hellman launched their hashtag Better Cup campaign after researching disposable coffee cups for a school science project, and their petition calls on Starbucks to develop a 100% recyclable cup. Right so on. in some cities, with coffee cups with the plastic lining uh, that are very, very common, they can be recycled, but in a lot of cities, they cannot be recycled. So the stu- after the student, peti- student petition gained more signatures. The girls received an invite from Starbucks to attend these shareholders meeting and to personally meet CEO Kevin Johnson in Seattle. And now Starbucks has announced their launch of the Next Gen Cup Challenge. The initiative is tasked with developing a fully recyclable and compostable cup within the next three years. That's outstanding. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump to number three, <laughs> but I, I figured you'd be excited about this I, one and I didn't know it was on the list. I apologize. I am terribly excited about this one. So do you remember last year when Starbucks came up with the unicorn frappe how could we forget? Didn't you have one every day for two weeks? Oh, I wish I could. I had, well, it was only here for five days. I got one. I was lucky to get that one because it sold out quickly afterwards. It was just tart and sweet and just wonderful. And uh, my, There's like, a place on Cord, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Shanley, but there's a place on Cord and called Roll Cake. Yes, you were telling me about right this. Right near Bar and, Italia. And, and I'm they, like, 
They still serve a unicorn frap. I can't remember what it is. It's not a unicorn frap, but it's a, it's a similar it, drink. I might be able to get my fix. Yes. You're saying. It's an homage to the <laughs> unicorn frap. So anyways, this year they have come up with another creation that's launching today. It's only here for five days, and it's going to magically disappear very soon. It's called the Crystal Ball Frappuccino. Okay. It's described as a mystical swirling peach infusion topped with peach flavors, whipped cream, turquoise sprinkles, and one of three different candy gems that reveal your fortune. <laughs> okay. So the candy gems could either be blue, pink, or green, which translate to adventure, magic, or luck. And, of course, I just want to let you know that if you're watching your waistline, a grande, that's the medium size. It's their yeah. fan Starbucks fancy term for medium. That contains 380 calories, 16 grams of fat, and 55 grams of sugar. Oh, that's, that's just only medium. five days worth of all of those things. So that's, that's, that's perfect. So, it's only here for five and, days. And I'm going to sacrifice myself and do a taste test. And I will report back tomorrow. We nominate I, have, you. I have received some intel this morning from a trusted source who says, and I quote, it's gross. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about it. I do like a lot of gross things, though. So We'll have to check out Twitter, see what the word is on the street. But Absolutely. If your word will be counting on tomorrow, we'll have a report. I will have a report. All right. Thank you, Shanalee. Three things with Shanalee Vidal heard every day after Global News at 8 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Got to say, this is sort of a thrill. And I say sort of <laughs> because That's my, cool. my enthusiasm <laughs> for this is tempered somewhat by the fact that the man sitting next to me is the uh, starting quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Thursday morning. It's Mark CFL week and uh, Winnipeg's rolled out the red carpet or green carpet or orange carpet, depending on uh, which team we're talking about. And uh, hopefully these fellas are enjoying the uh, Manitoba hospitality and you're going to get out and meet well, Zach Caleros and Jonathan Jennings. Jonathan Jennings from the BC Lions and Zach Caleros from Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Welcome. Did you notice he could, he, there was barely a hesitation there when he said Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Barely. He, Zach is, uh, I'm, I'm warming up to the fact that Zach is a very nice gentleman. Uh, and the fact that he hasn't played a down for the Rough Riders yet allows me to speak to him civilly. So <laughs> this may be the last time, Zach. When you come back for the Banjo Bowl, there may be a little bit more more friction between oh, you and I. Oh, I really appreciate that you could speak to me civilly. <laughs> Thank you. In, Thank all, you in all seriousness, <laughs> seriousness uh, two of the future uh, great quarterbacks of the Canadian Football League. And uh, Jonathan, why don't we start with you? Not because uh, you know, we want to start, uh, start uh, on anything negative, but last year was a disappointing season for the British Columbia Lions. It's, it's no secret. Uh, everyone to a man on your roster expressed disappointment on, on what went down last year. Um, how are you feeling heading into uh, training camp, which is basically about eight and a half weeks away now? I feel really good. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it's not always going to be peaches and cream. That's what I always say. But, um, you know, we learned a lot of things last year and, um, you know, we switched some things up. Ed Hervey's coming in and, and doing a good job of getting the personnel that we need and, um, you know, creating a team that uh, is going to be better than we were last year to, you know, to allow our big playmakers to, to make plays. Well, and just to follow up on that, we were mentioning off air, like on paper, that's one thing, right? But you play 18 games for a reason to decide who's got who's got the goods, and it's not a video game. So explain to people how a team that looks so good on paper 
can end up with a, a disappointing season and end up not even making the playoffs. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, potential is one thing, but going out there and executing is another. So, um, you know, it takes it takes the whole team as as one as a whole uh, to go out there and win a football game. And uh, you know, when you start start a trend of losing, uh, you know, sometimes your your confidence goes down and, and people start to uh, you know change a bit in, in the, their attitudes, the way they're coming to work every day. So uh, you just got to make sure you're coming in with that good camaraderie and. And uh, really going in there and attacking um, the execution each and every day. Yeah, and just for some context, uh, last year BC uh, they had a five and two record at one point, and I feel bad saying this with you in the <laughs> studio here. Uh, but then then finished seven and eleven. I, the only way that I can relate to this, you're a professional athlete, so you, the pursuit of excellence for you is your your livelihood. For me, it's just a hobby when I go golfing, and yeah. when I go golfing and play poorly, I beat myself up. When this is a profession and it's something that you have to take into an off season and spend a few months preparing for the next season, what do you? What steps do you need to take to make sure that you stay on a positive path as opposed to focusing on negative? Yeah, that's that's the one of the trickiest things. Um, you know, obviously, uh, came in 2015 was a good year for me uh, in in my personal sense. 2016 uh, really played well, and, and our team did well as well. But um, you know, we haven't experienced something like this in a while. I think this was the first time we hadn't made the playoffs in 20 something years, so it was really tough. Um, but these type of growing pains are are what make you into the person you're supposed to be, the player you're supposed to be. So. Uh, when it's when it's your career, it's really tough because um, you know this is my livelihood. This is what pays you know my mortgage. This is what pays my bills and uh, takes care of my wife as well. So uh, it's it's really hard, and you know no one wants it more than yourself. And, you know I don't you know I want it more than anyone else, uh, any BC Lions fan or anyone around the league. But um, you know we just gotta you know take the the positives we can get out of that. Um, really challenge ourselves to to make a step in each direction that we uh, felt our felt we were lacking last year and, and go out there and, and go get it this year. Uh, Zach Caleros uh, also with us this morning now. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders started your career with Toronto, uh, moved down the 401 to Hamilton and, and had some success there, but you dealt with injuries in Hamilton. Now you're on your way to Saskatchewan, and I grudgingly told you this off air, and I wasn't going to say it on air, but you're building something uh, fairly special to go back to the looking on paper, Zach. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are uh, collecting some very impressive uh, Athletes and looking like they're going to be a factor in uh, this season for sure. Yeah, I mean, Coach Jones has done a great job of uh, bringing guys in. Uh, you know, he's got a, a good history of putting together, you know, winning football teams. So it's definitely something exciting uh, to be a part of. Um, but, you know, like, like John just said, um, you know, you got to put it out there on the field. So I'm really looking forward to camp, getting in there with my teammates um, and improving myself and, and, getting out there and just playing games, you know, because on paper, I think every team thinks on paper they can win the Grey Cup, but it really comes out there. It comes down to execution, and football is just a game of, you know, it's cliche to say, but it really is a game of inches, and five, six plays in a game can, can change the outcome, right? So, um, you know, locking into those little details uh, day by day uh, goes a long way in, in winning football games. Now, Hamilton has incredible fans. We've got a, a, a absolutely a terrific fan base there, but you're now going into the fishbowl that is Saskatchewan. Have you had a little bit of a taste of it and the taste that you've had? Uh, do, do you know what to expect come May, come June, come Labor Day weekend? Oh, it's been great so far. Um, you know, from the fishbowl perspective, I think as a quarterback, you know, Jonathan can attest to this. Uh, you're kind of always in a fishbowl because 
you know, like it or not, you are the face of the franchise. So, um, you know, you always have to carry yourself a certain way and, and represent the team, knowing, knowing that you're, you represent everybody in that building. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting out there in the community and, and interacting with these fans. Um, I think I've played out there now seven times, and uh, it's never fun being the visitor. So I'm really, really excited to be on their side now, and uh, I can't wait to, to hear them behind me. Jonathan, you mentioned the the face of the franchise. You know, I mean, you're you're young guys. You're you're 25, Zach. You're 29. Uh, as as the the face of the franchise, as a young guy, how do you make sure that you carry yourself a certain way? Because I'll tell you, when I was in my 20s, I didn't carry myself in a certain way that would be conducive to be the face of of anything. Quite frankly, so, right? Yeah, no. Um, for me, it's been a natural thing. Um, you know, I thought my parents did a great job of raising me, uh, you know, trying to be humble. And, um, you know, it's just it's all about business. Uh, Wally does a good job of uh, being a, a great mentor and, and obviously being under Travis um, Lule. He's he's done a great job of, you know, showing me the way. Um, obviously, when I came in, he was a starting quarterback and, um, you know, just he held himself accountable, uh, you know, led himself around very humbly. And, um, you know, it's always good to see that. Uh, but, you know, I just got to take care of business. I got, like I said, I got a wife at home, so uh, I can't be too much of a clown. And, um, you know, I got a responsibility. It is Mark's CFL Week. Fan Fest begins today. RBC Convention Center. It runs through the 25th. And in studio with us, we have two of the superstar quarterbacks of the Canadian Football League, Jonathan Jennings from the BC Lions and Zach Caleros from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who both happen to be from Ohio, by the way. But... Zach, you played college ball with Cincinnati, correct? Correct. The Cincinnati Bearcats. Yes. You've been paying attention to the NCAA basketball tournament at all? I was in an airport. That was it was very uh very upsetting the way yeah. they blew that one. Yeah. yeah. This 20, is our year, man. Twenty two point lead. My dad's a big fan of the Cincinnati uh, Bearcats. I'm not entirely sure how that Bob happened. Huggins. He probably liked Bob Huggins back when Kenya Martin, those guys were there. Oh, yeah. Kmart. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Van were... Exel. They had some good years. Oh, yeah. Van Ex, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, <laughs> God, Nick Van Exel. Yeah. yeah. Van Excellent. <laughs> or, or is he a big... I mean, how was your dad? Is he an Oscar Robertson fan? Maybe? He's uh, 70. So, yeah. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask him about the, the Bearcats. 67 and 68, I think we won the national championship. Okay. Could I, I, be. You know what I love about America is how you talk about we and that collective sense and that singular sense all at once it, it, your alma mater means everything you p- played baseball what, did you play at the college level as well yeah, as I, football I only played for a year in college I uh, took my first year off um, and focused on football and then uh, our football coach allowed me to go play baseball the next year I, I started about 20 games and played center field which in high school I played shortstop so that was a little bit different but it's a lot easier catching a fly ball than a ground ball. So, so. what made you decide to, to <laughs> concentrate? My kids would agree. My, yeah. my kids are ball players too, getting yeah. them in the throat at short. Uh, talk about the whole uh, transition, the decision to commit to football versus baseball. Uh, you know, I think it was an easy decision for me, although I love playing baseball. I kind of grew up just loving every sport, whatever season it was, basketball, baseball, or football. Um but, you know, playing the quarterback position, you always have the ball in your hand. And uh, that's, you know, kind of what I wanted. And in baseball, you had about four or five opportunities a game to make a difference. And there was just times where I was just bored out of my mind or lo- <laughs> losing my mind because I hit a ground ball, like with a guy on second base and, you know, didn't move him over. So football, you get about 50 chances a game to, to help your team. In baseball, there wasn't so many. So I think that's 
why I naturally gravitated to it. What about you, Jonathan? I see you nodding your head over there. Were you a multi-talented athlete as well? Man, I, honestly, I didn't play baseball. I wish I would have, um, but I just played basketball and football. Um, like that stuff, I was a drummer, so I grew up drumming. Um, a music guy, too, so that was always nice, always nice. fun. Um, grew up in the church playing the drums. Got into a jazz band in high school. Um, sounds corny, but, you know, I love it. Deep Why down. is that corny? Dude, that's sweet. <laughs> doesn't sound corny awesome. at all. I'm so no, mad that my dad teach me guitar when I was a kid. I'm Seriously. So no, I wish I could. Yeah, I wish I could start playing piano, guitar, all that. But, um, no, I, you know, I still love drumming. I actually just bought a, an electronic drum set uh, this off season, so to get back to it. So it's, it's been fun. Why electronic? Because his certain... neighbors will yeah, like him. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Answer the question. Come on now. Exactly. I'll be banging and my wife will be, she'll be going nuts. Okay. <laughs> I, I had the audacity to bring home an amplifier for my rolling drum uh, kit the other day. And my wife says, that thing is not staying in this house. She walked in and we were wailing on the drums uh, you know it's my imagination is just about every athlete on a Canadian football league team if you're a defensive back wide receiver running back formerly a quarterback like it, it, it seems as though you know played a high school quarterback high school quarterback and and do you get do you get tired of getting advice from from guys that used to play uh, high school quarterback and just talk about that whole uh, camaraderie within the dressing room give us a little bit of insight to to how awesome it is to be in a football locker room yeah, it's it's a good time. I mean, you all obviously have a whole bunch of guys. I think they can swear they can throw the ball better than you. Um, <laughs> no shortage of confidence, right? In football, not players. at all. But I think that's what got those guys here. You know, they were usually the best athletes on their high school team, um, and usually at that point in time, you put them at quarterback, so they can have the ball in, in every play. Like Zach said, you know, they, you want your athletes with the ball. So um, yeah, you always get that uh, that notion that they're they're sweet at quarterback, and and the guys. The receivers love to brag about trying to throw the ball, and none of them can throw <laughs> at all. Zach, uh, of one of the things Canadians are known for being, for, for always saying, I'm sorry, and for being, sorry. oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does any of that manage to kind of leak into the CFL at all, where the players are slightly more cordial, perhaps, than the game is south of the border? I, I think the Canadian guys are, like you said, slightly you know more cordial than... A lot of the American guys, but I think with the American guys, the more time they spend up here, the more polite we get. You know, so, <laughs> I'm year seven. I'm much more polite than I was my first year. So. So, talk about coming to Canada and like your Canadian geography. What was it like in university, Jonathan? Did you know anything about Canadian geography or the Canadian Football League, the history of the league? Well, I did not. But can I you also still name other, can you name other provinces now? No. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> That's no, sad. I would definitely forget about one out out east for sure. It's, yeah, it's those. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not even gonna start. Dude, they didn't teach us anything in school about uh, Canada. Not at all. My girl's family chirps me all the time. Like we learned so much about the states right. in school. I'm like, we didn't learn anything. We had Ohio history. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't even have U.S. history. We learned about Ohio. Besides the fact that I didn't really pay attention in geography class. So, um, no, I mean. It's I, I love it out there. I, I'm obviously in Vancouver, so it's you know that's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. So um, I try to tell everyone to get out there. And when I tell people I'm in Vancouver, they have no clue where I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh yeah, it's just about you know five hours north of Ohio. I'm like, no, we're over <laughs> Seattle, Dude, out west. The best one I the best one I ever had was they're like 
I walked in somewhere back in my hometown, and somebody goes to me, like, are you still playing overseas? Like, yeah. Come on. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm still, I'm still up there. I'm overseas. Like, you were sent away or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got about 60 seconds left here. You're in Winnipeg for Mark's CFL week. The Fan Fest begins today. So when will uh, fan, football fans in Winnipeg have the opportunity to meet? You guys, Zach, well, why don't we start with you? Do you know when you'll be um, out front and center? I'm not sure how much I'll be out front and center. I, I have a flight back tonight, actually. So we have what you guys in the media would call a car wash to go to right really? now. Really? That's then, interesting. Uh, yeah. Not washing cars, but just doing a lot of media <laughs> stuff. And then... Uh, it's, yeah, not then huh? it's not a fundraiser. It's not a fundraiser. No, no we can't come by and get our cars washed by, by Zach and Jonathan <laughs> holding signs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure to meet both of you guys. Thanks for uh, for coming in to visit us, and thanks for coming to visit Winnipeg for Mark CFL Week. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB, and we are excited about this conversation. We love talking to authors, and we have a successful Canadian writer who's... It's, well, here, Tom Rackman, author of The Italian Teacher, brand new novel, signed copies available at McNally Robinson. The, uh, the, the reading, the launch was last night. But you, you were born in England... You have lived in Canada for a while. You live in England again. So, is it appropriate to to call you a Canadian? Like, how do what do you consider yourself? I consider myself that. Yeah, I'm, I'm proudly so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm somebody I've lived in lots of different countries, but uh, but when people ask me who I am, what I am, where I'm from, it's it's definitely Canada. So, so where your sensibilities come from, your perspective, majority Canadian, as they look at your list of works. Uh, I mentioned you before we came on air. I, I totally remember a basket of deplorables and, uh, you know, a commentary and, and a look at the, the American uh, election uh, between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So do you bring that Canadian sensibility? Uh, where are your where are you morally grounded? Oh, I don't know if I'm morally grounded at all. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, geez, I wasn't ready for this one. Uh, no, seriously, the, no, I think that, that for me, it's, I, I feel like probably I'm a mix of lots of different places, like I, which is, I think, a quality that a lot of Canadians share. I think a lot of us are proud of that, too, having different parts from different, different bits of the world and embracing all of it. And, yeah, I've lived in, I've lived in London, in Vancouver, in Toronto, in New York, in Paris, in Rome. And from all those places, I've taken something. Now, maybe that mix, maybe that's being Canadian as well. I would agree that 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 ability to to see different points of view, I think, is something that we cherish here Absolutely. in Canada. And so maybe it's spending time in Canada that's allowed you to do that. We can save that for the next time you come to visit. Why don't you give us a little bit of a synopsis of the Italian teacher? Okay. Well, the Italian teacher is a novel that, above all, is trying to offer people a little peek into the crazy dangerous, wild, chaotic lives of artistic people. So if ever you followed the arts, whether it's painting or music or writing, and wondered what on earth these characters are getting up to, this is this will give you the answers. And a lot of these, these people live these unconventional uh, and pretty extraordinary lives, and we sometimes give them a lot of leeway in that. We allow them to act like they're some sort of different sorts of creatures than the rest of us. And this book also asks some questions about whether we really want to give these kinds of people this way of life or whether they should be held to our standards too. You mentioned the word dangerous, uh, that sometimes dangerous lives of artistic people. Why dangerous? Well, especially dangerous probably for everybody around them. You know, that I think that, that having worked in the literary world and having met a lot of artistic people, 
a lot of them are, can be very, very driven and sometimes pretty egotistical. And when we look at their what they come out with, we say, well, it must be worth it because they've produced something beautiful. But sometimes to make that the, make that beauty, it can be an ugly process. And the ones who get harmed are often the people around them, the family, the spouses, the kids. There are some some harrowing stories when you see how how artistic people have been in private. Well, when you look back at some of the greatest music ever written and ever produced, and then you read the stories or hear the stories attached to those that that wrote and produced and created that music, th- their life story and the, the way they got there is absolutely harrowing. And you do have to ask the question, is it actually worth it? Absolutely. I think it's a question that's really topical now with so many of these horrifying tales that are coming out from different different parts of the arts about things that that guys have done and, you know, often famous big artists that we've loved for many years and we see what they've been getting up to um, behind closed doors. And, and you know, we're, I think we as a society are asking ourselves now how much, we're, how much we're ready to put up with and how important, the other side of the question is how important the arts are for us. So I think this, this is a question that is really a hot topic right now and uh, one that I, I hope my, my book will give some, some insight into. Are you implicitly, uh, are you tying the film world into that or just uh, when you talk artists, who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's a good question because the, the term is always hard to define, isn't it? Uh, I'm talking about people in the arts generally. Now, this particular novel is a story about a painter, about one of the great painters and his son, in fact, his whole family and those all around him. But the main story is the son of this this great man, and he's living in the shadow of one of the most important artists of his his time, really, and trying to figure out what kind of life he can live when his father is this famous man, but also a pretty damaging guy to everyone around him. But really, many of the ideas and stories and, and thoughts in this book pertain to all of the arts, cinema, um, the book world too, music. There's a there's a kind of artistic way of being, an artistic personality that we that we uh, we give a lot of latitude to, and that applies all through the arts. You're an artist as a writer, so how would you rank yourself or rate yourself in this? Uh, totally immoral, bad guy. <laughs> Awful guy. Why do you say that? No, I'm joking. I hope <laughs> you'd probably need to 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 ask my my spouse and and kid and 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 family members uh, how to how to rate me in that regard. I would say though, to be honest, you know, it's one of the it's a business that is really super competitive. To try to make it, you have to be absolutely dedicated and single minded, and sometimes that can morph into self centeredness. Uh, you just want to do your work and you want to make your career, but that's true of all super competitive industries. And it's certainly something that I've been aware of and wary of, and something that I, I, I struggled with and questioned when I was thinking of starting a family. I wondered whether it would really be fair or not. And in a way, that's something that this book tackles as well. Uh, it's a question that I had, and it's something that seeped into the storyline as well. Well, you were gonna, you were asking before we came on air, how are we going to segue between CFL week and Canadian football players <laughs> and your book? And you've just done it. And I'll tell you how. A lot of Canadian football league players are from the United States. A majority uh, uh, of the players come here exclusively for the season and they have families back home in the United States. And so they leave their wife, their kids, uh, their their families for six, seven months to ply their trade. And it's a very interesting existence on that front. I can't imagine 
Jackie giving me carte blanche and <laughs> saying, uh, and me coming home saying, yeah, I've got to go work on a project f- for radio. I'm going to be gone for seven months. I will be mailing home money from time to time, but I'm going to be gone <laughs> for seven months. That would not fly. But with athletes, with, you know, uh, John Bon Jovi does 200 plus shows a year, but he's been married to the same woman for nearly 40 years. Uh, there's some leeway there that that's given to these types of people in our society. Yeah, absolutely. It takes some, it takes some, some understanding and, and tolerance even from, from the spouse, from the, the people around. But I think that because of the fact that we expect different things from people in these sorts of businesses, in artistic business, it can often be abused. And that's something that is, is a danger because, yeah, there's the possibility of just dedicating yourself to your, to your work and that would be your decision. But if people start treating you like you're a different sort of person, there are, there are those characters who will, who will exploit that and will think, listen, I can get away with anything. And you do see that. We've seen it a lot lately. And it's, uh, it's troubling. Tom Rackman is our guest. He is Canadian writer. He His latest book, The Italian Teacher, now available. You can get signed copies at McNally Robinson. And he is the New York Times bestselling author of The Imperfectionist. Yeah, this is an international bestseller. And I understand it's uh, it might make its way to, uh, prestige, to prestige TV. So that's got to be kind of cool for you. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting so far. It, what happened was when the book came out, it was optioned by Brad Pitt's company. So um, I was whisked from you know from from the the, the sort of obscurity into meeting this this uh, these these Hollywood types, and turns out they're exactly what you think. Um, it was quite quite an experience meeting some of these people, and then what happened was that the rights then moved on to. Well, what is exactly what you think? Well, uh, you know all those satires. About Hollywood folks, yeah, um, they're true. So it's funny. <laughs> I, I would meet some of these these people, and and just like the over the top, and this is you know amazing to meet you, and and then you know a lot of the stuff just vanishes into thin air. Yeah. So, it, but it was it was that was kind of fun to see. Also, as a as a, a storyteller, it was interesting to meet some of these characters who seemed almost hard to hard to believe in real life. Um, but now the the BBC the rights then went to the BBC and it could be developed by the BBC and HBO into a series now and um, so we'll see what happens with that but it's a lot of fun just watching it from the sidelines you know I marvel at actors who transform their bodies and and really uh, live a role my kids were telling me the other day that Jennifer Lawrence is actually like an archery expert she spent two years learning how to to, to work a bow and arrow uh, for uh, for um, the Hunger Games thank you for the Hunger Games and I'm like my word, like just the life that these people lead. You live a sort of similar life, and in, in the mine fact is a that, lot less glamour, man. But I'll yeah, tell but you. You, but you, you you can get embedded with some of these amazing people and learn about their lives and and their their intimacies and intricacies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I see it from from the sidelines. But you know, one thing that's a, that's a bit different is that their lives are, uh, especially the actors. As I know some of them, and they they have these weird lives where they got intense, you know, six week, eight week shoots, and then the rest of the year they might have nothing to do. So their lives are peculiar. They don't really know where to fit in. Mine is is almost the opposite in that I'm always working, but then I have these small periods of time when I'm out talking about what I've done and have some exposure. And so, but most of the time, my my life is is incredibly unthrilling. It's me sitting in a room with the door closed and you know keyboard in front of me and trying to come up with stories. Do you use a desktop computer, laptop, 
Old school typewriter. I, I use anything, anything I can get my words up on. So, yeah, I use a computer. I use pads, just about anything. Anytime, whatever the mood strikes, exactly. if you've got something. Okay. Exactly. I, I know we've got to go here, but you must have notes like accumulated everywhere. Like a, a comedian, you must have a, a notepad and pen and paper at the bedside, oh, yeah. etc. I'm, I'm waiting for a sponsorship deal from Post-it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my house is like, is like is one half white walls and one half yellow. Uh, so absolutely, the notes are everywhere and the ideas come to you anywhere. Tom, come back and see us next time you're in Winnipeg, please. Thank you so much. Tom Rackman, is named the website, tomrackman.com. The new book, The Italian Teacher, a novel. You can get it at McNally Robinson. You can get signed copies at McNally Robinson. And again, the best-selling author of The Imperfectionist, which maybe will make its way to BBC and HBO. Look out for that. Tom Rackman, thank you very much for joining us today. Royal Winnipeg Ballet reveals 79th season featuring female lead roles and in-studio. To tell us about this is the RWB's artistic director, Andre Lewis. RWB revealing time-honored classics and a stunning new creation that will be featured for 2018-2019. Andre Lewis, thank you so much for joining us and welcome back. Good to see you again. It's a pleasure. So The Handmaid's Tale, that's the one that I'm excited about. Shanalee Vidal, our content producer, says that The Handmaid's Tale is in the lineup, and I thought, what? Because I realize that it's the Margaret Atwood famous book. I have not Mm -hmm. read the book, but I did watch the television series, Mm -hmm. which was extraordinary. Season two, by the way, starts in April. Uh, It will air on Bravo if you're looking for that. But so how how do you translate that story, this iconic story, to dance, to ballet. Well, it was created by a, a lady named Lila York, who 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 is from New York, but she danced with Paul Taylor, a wonderful dancer, but became a choreographer. I mean, I, she used imagery, obviously uh, movement, to create uh, the storyline. Uh, she does it in a metaphorical way at the same time, so the, the, there's no gory uh, details uh, to be had. It's still ballet, and we have to do it in that fashion. But... Uh, uh, the production was first presented, I think it was six years ago in Winnipeg and was a big, big success for us. And it's interesting because now we, we have the TV series and actually I believe the producers of that series were in Winnipeg to watch the show and talk to Margaret Atwood, who was also present at the performance and absolutely loved the show. Wow. Well, uh, that's that. uh, like uh, when, when you go behind the scenes of of the transition of of any sort of an and writing and creation of a ballet uh, you know the dracula mm, uh, yes. many people would have seen the documentary the behind the scenes of of all the work that goes on there give us give us a sense of of, of making that translation from a book from some other sort of piece of art and turning that into a yeah. ballet well, again you you have to make choices I mean, obviously, a 300-page or 200-page book cannot be word-per-word translated into ballet, but you pick up some of the theme. Dracula is perfect this way, the way Mark Godin, the choreographer, picked the theme of Lucy and Mina, Lucy being the weak, decadent one, and Mina being the strong new world girl that vanquishes Dracula and, and build on those theme and the fact that rather than have Dracula running around biting girls' necks all the time, uh, he went for a much more in-depth uh, uh, 
profile of the character of Dracula, viewed through the eyes of Lucy and Mina, ultimately. And Lila, to a certain degree, does that to the, the eyes of Alfred, to the eyes of the commander, to the eyes of uh, the commander's wife, Serena, and, and all of those particulars, and, and the connection in between, and the enslavement, if you will, of, of women to, to be reproductive machines, essentially, uh, by and large. And, 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 and the concern of the, you know, our world is a very fragile thing and you know we this is meant to be in a very distant future this could happen but those things can happen and have happened in the past and will happen probably again. So it, it's, a, it's a sombering thought at the same time, but it's done again in a metaphorical way. So, I mean, it used classical uh, vocabulary to express uh, those emotions and, and, and the sense of hopelessness and, and the sense of ultimately uh, vanquishing uh, their the situation they're in. I mean, the whole season is called Fearless. It's about uh, Juliet and the way she handles herself. It's about Dorothy, the way she handles it. You know, they all face difficult challenges. And it's not about denying the challenges. How are we going to solve those problems? And they each, in their own way, uh, offered in... Uh, in uh, Handmaid's Tale and things of that nature. You mentioned Juliet, so Romeo and Juliet is going to be one of the shows. And Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. Canadian premiere. Is this that, something new for you yes, guys? Yes, that's, that's a creation. We're, we're actually creating it right now. The choreographer, Septim Weber, came to Winnipeg to do uh, portions of the piece. He's going to Kansas City this summer to finish the piece. And then it'll be, it will be performing Kansas City in Colorado Ballet and with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Well, congratulations for that. And that sounds we exciting. We have another great show that's going to be at the Pantages with the Brother Landreth. Uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a f- significant, a famous, I would say, uh, band here from Winnipeg. And mm-hmm. we're going to do something at the Pantages Theatre with them also. So we're really excited about that. We're going to, it's, 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 it's a different, uh, because it's a shorter, it's a short works program. So again, we're just trying to, you know, ultimately I said to somebody, we're just, what we seek to do is, is define humanity through movement. And that's how we look at it as, as an organization. So these are the various uh, works that uh, we uh, launched yesterday. And it's very exciting. Well, the, the hair stood up on the back of my neck no less than three times in <laughs> that six or seven minute, minutes when you're, when you're talking about the fact that uh, Margaret Atwood is viewing the performance <laughs> yeah. of The ha- Handmaid's Tale. The fact that you've got this collaboration going on with the Colorado and mm-hmm. Kansas City Ballet. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's the, the epicenter is here in Winnipeg. And That's for right. as much as I know about the RWB, it's still I still marvel at its relevance and its place in mm-hmm. the ballet world, and it, it makes me super proud as a as a Winnipegger. Well, and we also, of course, have Nutcracker at Christmas, which comes well, uh, yearly right. now. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, and and I love these smaller programs. What do you call it, the Short Works Pro? Sh- yeah, we sh- Short Works Program, which will be uh, in, uh, towards the end of March at the Pantages Theater. Yeah, that'll be March uh, twenty. Pardon me, March twenty eighth to the thirtieth uh, of twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Ballet and the band. Yeah. Uh, with uh, the brothers Landreth, and uh, yeah, so the four main shows: The Handmaid's Tale, Nutcracker, Romeo and Juliet, and The Wizard of Oz. Mm. And uh, the first show, uh, the first, The Handmaid's Tale will run in October yeah. of this year. So that is so. And Ballet in the Park as well returns yeah. in July. Yeah. This July. Yeah, this July again we'll have 
every year we we get probably almost 20,000 people. It's such wow. a an event to come to. I mean, they just sit outside, they bring uh, baskets of food and things of that nature and 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 have fun. And we also have, you know, if you're interested in, in seeing the upcoming talents, we have our uh, spotlight shows with our professional division and On the Edge with the Aspirant program. So we have a, a real panoply, if you will, of, of works. <laughs> I can listen to you speak all day long, Andre. Uh, the RWB also engages you know, with its donors and with its subscribers in unique mm-hmm. fashions, right? Some unique experiences that you offer, behind-the-scenes look, and, yes. the, and talk about the ballet school as well, because uh, obviously conversations like this must inspire young people, or at least their parents uh, at this time of day, to consider investigating the ballet school. Absolutely. We just got a text here. Somebody saying there is an amazing documentary done by a local producer director on the creation of Handmaid's Tale with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Apparently, it's on MTS on demand. Uh, do you know what it's called? For, no, I don't know what okay. it's called. All right. Well, we'll have to investigate that. And uh, the website RWB. Dot org. Andre Lewis is the artistic director. They've just launched their 2018-2019 season, and it sounds spectacular. So we look forward to more conversations throughout the season, Andre. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure being here. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanelie Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And